the emergency that's unfolding around me is unfold is unfolding yeah. at a progressive rate. And right, for sure. Let's keep going because honestly, you couldn't yeah. you couldn't pay for better circumstances. No, this is going to be a good one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So, what do you what do you give this? Welcome to Discography, the podcast that gives Gen X music maniacs a chance to smell like teen spirit again by connecting with a brotherhood obsessed with rating the entire discography of every single artist and band that ever mattered. I'm your host, Dave Gebro, and with three new episodes each week, you're going to gain a comprehensive knowledge of an act's history and output in the time it takes to listen to one album. And in this episode, we'll be turning our spray cans on Bombino! Along with our very special guest, Dennis Ryan, drummer for rock and roll flag hoisters, Deer Tick. Tonight's artist was dubbed the world's best guitarist by the music blog Noisy and the Sultan of Shred by the New York Times. But his songwriting is arguably just as impressive as his shred style. He's the first Nigerian artist to be nominated for a Grammy and some of his best work was actually recorded in a dry riverbed in the African bush. Okay, first things first, you need to know just how seriously I take this craziness. Discography is a music obsessive's dream come true. The guest and I explore an artist or band's entire discography in a futile but valiant attempt to reach a higher truth, which often is cleverly disguised as a nerdy compendium of star ratings and lists. The show's heavily researched, and the music is always reassessed with fresh ears. We don't just cover albums. Uh-uh. We do a searingly honest deep-dive analysis of all EPs, singles, comp tracks, relevant solo work, and sometimes bootlegs and live stuff. Every release is slapped with an objectively accurate star rating between 0 and 5, which allows us all. The real reason we do this, the Tootsie Pop reward at the center of the rock and roll lolly, to come face to face with the true shape of an artist's overall arc. Coming up, we've got Corey Hansen from Wand rating everything he's ever done, an interview with Testament's lead guitar shredder Alex Skolnick, Mike Watt rating the entirety of the Minutemen's output, Mark Robinson from Unrest rating everything he's ever done, Robert Schneider from the Apples and Stereo rating everything he's ever done, and Will Hart from the Olivia Tremor Control rating everything they ever did. Oh, and Michelle Phillips rating everything she's ever done, alongside Mamas and Papas author Richard C. Campbell, who's written a brand new book about him getting kind of itchy so don't miss out open up your listening app right now and subscribe and for premium membership benefits that'll make you ask yourself how is it even humanly conceivable that this is all the work of one man and one man alone just visit patreon.com slash discography we've got a hundred episodes available exclusively on patreon and that number as well as the discography inner circle is growing exponentially by the day that's patreon.com slash discography and away we go then pure authenticity and talent to burn turned well you'll have to stand by as we glean what if anything's been lost in an attempt to broaden bambino's appeal but first 
Let's introduce our guest for today. Back in 2007, tonight's guest was the first mother effer that John McCauley asked to join Deer Tick when John decided he was out of the overdubbing game once and for all and formed a band to go along with that band name. John made out like a bandit and got the guy's bass slapping brother in the deal too. So here we've got the rare case of a fraternal rhythm section hoisting this gaggle of distorto crunch twang rock mainstays way the fuck up on high. Hailing from Pawtucket, Rhode Island, a town those in the know refer to as the great rock and roll hope for an otherwise bleak, bleak rock and roll future. This here fella also gladly lets go of the sticks from time to time to grab pen and paper because he's more than capable of pumping out the tunes all in his lonesome. Lads and ladies out there in the perspiration streaked byways of rock and roll's funky drummer summer, will you please throw a television set out of your hotel window? Unless, of course, they went and put you on the first friggin' floor. It's Deer Tick's Hard Rock TikTok, Dennis Ryan. <laughs> Hello. Thank you. Thank That's you. Great. I know I know good music. And, you know, I could already tell immediately that you do too. You know, separate from your band, because I don't even know if your brother even could sit down and have like a super nerdy discussion about music. Not every person in a band can or wants to. Is everybody nerdy like you? Not in the same way. That's when this request came through, they were like, you got to do this one. Then, and I was like psyched because, like I said, this was like a pastime for me, but I haven't been doing it as much. So I, then I was kind of like, not nervous but like oh all right so like i kind of get in touch with that part of myself again because that sort of voracious appetite for everything that an artist has is in me and excites me i used to spend a ton of time in record stores i haven't been buying as many records either but it's an exciting way to reignite that passion a bunch of these episodes that i do they're hot seat episodes so for example the association are rating the entirety of their own canon and I, I, yeah when you yeah that's pretty fucking cool <laughs> <laughs> which i feel like the biggest dildo in the world saying here's how good your record is each one everyone <laughs> <laughs> right yeah yeah that's it's, intense but it's pretty cool so you give it five right i would yeah uh, yeah gam gam that's what's blaring in in our house at all times these days is a gam gam because oh, yes that's the first one that's available so while Bambino lived in exile in Burkina Faso, Ron Wyman, a filmmaker, had heard cassette recordings of his music, decided to track him down. Wyman encouraged Bambino to properly record his music. Bambino agreed, and the two of them, with the help of a guy named Chris Takato, put together an album in Agadez. Their recordings culminated in the album Agadez, released in April 2011, and it debuted at the top of the iTunes world chart. Agadez, you know, that's the first studio one. But yet, I don't think this is the turning point. There's a phase two coming up. This to me is I not agree. a- I agree, I agree. I feel the same way, but I love to witness the transition because there are some shots in that documentary of what I think are some of the songs from this record. And it seems like they've got some pretty cool mics and stuff, but it still looks like it's in a house kind of. Like the recording fidelity steps up a little bit. There's probably some multi-tracking going on. But the coolest thing about that is that even though that's happening, and this is clearly the fulcrum point, because, you know, it's like, hey, get out of the riverbed. We have a studio down the street. But yet yeah. at the same time, he's not trying to change his process. 
This is a more studio-based, pro-sounding affair all around. Uh, yeah. Also, the dude is stretching the fuck out. He's got a nine-minute song on here and really goes for it with some of his guitar work. It just basically yes. no cap on the creative sprawl. That's all. No, totally. I like the percussion sort of that's added that's a little different here. There's a lot yeah. of like different shakers and different textures that started to be added in, but I don't think there's any like full drum set or anything. But actually, something pretty mind-blowing about the documentary is there's a guy with like a plastic basin with water and like a kid's ball. It's not a basketball. It doesn't look thick, but like one of those thinner plastic rubber balls. And he's hitting it with a sandal and it's like right on with all the bass drum-ish hits. And I have to say that I would like to, I'm going to try that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Just like, there's this like rich, deep bass drum sound and I can't even necessarily see a mic on it. So I don't know if they put the mic under it or like, I really don't know exactly what's going on there. But as a person who's like, I'm pretty inspired by recording methods and I I like to do a bit of recording myself. Seeing some of those images in the the documentary was a little eye-opening and exciting for me as well. So are you doing way more recording than your track per album would lead one to believe or what's the story there? Is this an all things must pass thing where you got like three albums sitting around? Well, uh, it's starting to be similar. It's not quite there yet, but like um, we had a studio that we started in Nashville. And previously, like for every uh, record that we've done, we've been on the road so often that it's just like, okay, it's time to get in the studio and we have material. So we go and we do that, but we don't really like explore too much. When we set the studio up in Nashville, we were just getting together to jam and record and demo and figure the studio out. And I'd been doing like a lot of my own exploration and recording. So I was just about at the point where I was feeling pretty good about capturing us. And then pandemic hit. All I'm trying to say is that there is a wealth of stuff that we've demoed and that is like getting better, but it's only improving. And then we took a lot of those demos to Dave Fridman, did an incredible job. Did he make you come upstate New York too? We went upstate New York. It was (laughs) rad. Oh man, it was amazing. He's like, Uh, I I picture him 500 pounds and can't fit through the door. So he's like, sorry, everyone's got to come to upstate New York. (laughs) That is not the case, but yeah, no, he's like as sort of like a fledgling engineer, hobbyist recorder. It was my mind-blowing to sort of like watch the master at work what's your dream then down the line in addition to the band or what have you or on the side or whatever is that what you want to be doing or do you want to be doing your own material where's your heart lying i actually yesterday i had this sort of thought and i was like you know if i had all the money in the world i was like i'd play drums and record music (laughs) and so like yeah yeah so i was like so I'm, i'm doing it and i understand how lucky i am but yeah so i like to write songs i love drumming and i really love recording too and so whatever I can do in any of those things, I've mixed a few things for some friends. Like I just, I find like yourself, you know, like you're listening to music, diving into catalogs and it's, it's what you're doing with your passion. And so there's something similar about mixing a song where you just sort of like watch it unfold in front of your eyes. Like, you know, it's there, but you're kind of like mining for the pieces of it. And, um, I'm living my dream and then that's like another part of it is is to spend more time recording and mixing both my work and other people's work but whatever I hear in my head and I, I feel like I'm approaching it I think I hope I, without any like hubris or cockiness like I'm getting close to what I'm looking for wait, wait, just to it, be able explain to explain what you mean you're looking for a sound or a yeah type? okay yeah okay a sound in my head and if I could translate that and I know things change as they enter the air as well and that's cool but like that 
that's what I'm like mining for and striving for a lot is to get that sound in my head represented yeah. as quickly as possible and be able to know how to get there. That's the thing. But. You can be Kevin Shields and spend five months on getting a guitar tone, or you can just generate enough material that it dictates the sound. Because if you <laughs> if you listen to the music, it'll tell you what it wants yeah. to be, ultimately. Totally. Right? And that's really like, that is a, a massive like philosophical discussion that I go back and forth in my head. And, and, and what I really like, and back to the Bombino stuff, it's like, it is all about the material, clearly. And like, we're witnessing that within this discography. It's like, if like that soul is there, if that spirit is it there, it doesn't really matter how you record it. And then that can kind of just be like an icing on the cake. It's like, and that's what I love about this discography. It's like, we see that raw spirit in the beginning. You know that it's got a lot to offer. Like you were talking about, it's soothing. It can like speak to your pain, but in a strong way. And then to his credit, that sound then plays dress up and it breaks into its parents' closet and starts yeah. putting on ill-fitting suits and yet it doesn't matter. It doesn't water down the power of, yeah. the, of that initial message. Um, oh, it fucks shit up. It's like, it's yeah. so fucking cool. Like, here we are, like, that, that Agadez, like, I feel like it's about to boil or something to use some more metaphors. You feel like something's happening. I recognize this, but it's about to pop. Which is exactly what happened. Totally, uh, for sure. And because of this record, the Black Keys Dan Auerbach discovered him and yeah. invited him to the Nashville studio that everybody seems to be recording in these days. <laughs> if they're not at Dave Friedman's place, they're at Dan's place. <laughs> and so in June 2012, Auerbach began recording Bombino's second international solo album called Nomad. Phase two, reggae Yariba assimilation campaign, 2013 yeah. to present. And I mean that yeah. only slightly derogatorily. <laughs> Really, because sure. basically the stuff that we're going to talk about for the remainder, I don't mind mm. any of it. The reggae stuff that creeps in yeah. and yeah. the yay, all that. I'm not a fan of that, but that's it. Other than that, I love everything he does. Spoiler alert, 2013's Nomad. The big difference for me that I'm hearing is all these other instruments. So you got Farfisa, bass, um. lap steel, djembe, and percussion. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff going on here. Really vibrant, really lush. I I think it's great as a first step towards America. It's a really good one. And you have that song, Aminadine, which is a great mm -hmm. carryover. And that basically sounds like the Black Keys covering Bombino. It sounds, it's, just in case it wasn't, it sounds like the single. It's terrific. Yeah. I wrote a couple notes down. That was the first thing was we get the full electric Aminadine. And that really feels like it's popping off at that point. We've heard it a couple times, but then this is really different. It's, I guess, to me, like that, it's a big statement. And then Imu that comes back but it's got a vibraphone i'm pretty sure it's a vibraphone that's so cool yeah that is sick the vibe is good on that it's yeah. an a plus and yeah. that's the only note i wrote about Imuhar is that the vibes work is just i wrote it in capitals just sick yeah yeah it's next level and like again we've heard that song before but now like it's an explosion i'm not upset that i've heard it before i'm hungry for more of like what else can be done i love that track three is called as i and you're like wow i bet that's about war torn strife and 
and it's actually yeah. the translation is the era of young girls. <laughs> yeah. My favorite song on the record's the fifth track, Naomi Jam. Yeah. It's an instrumental. I think it's the best. It's the most blazing example of the two yeah. sonic forces at work that meld and take what they do to a mysterious third place that maybe yes. didn't exist before. Like the two monks that create the third voice. It feels like <laughs> the two approaches, this is the best benefit of that. I think so too. It certainly doesn't feel out of place, but it does feel like a different thing. And it's really cool to sidestep again to like something you, that you said you're pretty into is like the Dr. John record with Dan Arbuck. Something about some of the drum sounds he gets are really cool. And I feel like that shows up here too. It got almost like an old, I think they might work on tape. The thud of the kick drum is there, but you're not losing any crispness from the snare and the, the cymbals. And I feel like that, especially on this track, kind of pops through in a, in a big way that elevates things. You're totally geeky. If you spaz out on, <laughs> on, on singularly on mic placement specifically, <laughs> yeah. sure. are you a utilitarian Steve Albini type guy or are you more of a florid Norman Smith, George <laughs> Martin sort of deal? Well, not totally utilitarian but what i've been enjoying lately is like some measure of utility getting everything a certain way and then like you can kind of fuck with it later right. if you want it to be weirder as i've reached some point i think that like i'm pretty pleased to be in where like i can be like writing some stuff and like okay i think this would work for deer tick like we ended up cutting four songs of mine for the last yeah. record which is the most that we've ever done but it ended up that one of them fit with it the best and so there's one of my songs on the record but it was really it was liberating and exciting to have the opportunity to record four songs with Dave Fridman and it's the song called Running From Love which was interesting anyway because that came to me in a dream and I've never had that so it almost feels far from my conscious mind anyway but I love it so I've been inspired by the people who are like you know what you gotta do is show up and you show up and you make music sometimes something happens and I found that I think I really believe that it took a long time to get there but I'm not necessarily afraid of too much of a writer's block because there's not really a spotlight on me anyone's looking for something or you know like what's he gonna do so I don't have that pressure so that's cool I just do my best to make things and if they're gonna fit with deer tick then they'll fit with deer tick there's a another friend of ours who collaborate with a lot and he and I have written a ton of stuff that I hopefully see the light of day somehow but right now I'm just making stuff and then however it comes I just want it to come out and however it does is cool with me. Well, I'm psyched to hear it because all your contributions are always happy surprises on the record. And yes, that they do slot in. I mean, it's not like, boom, all of a sudden you're off in left field and then back to the record. <laughs> it, it's, it's deer tick territory. So, you know, you're, yeah. yeah, that's cool. So talk to me about some of the material that really punches you in the nads on Nomad. Like I say, I've got written down Emidinin, Imuhar, Niami Jam. And then I really, towards the end, the Imidiwan and Zig on, I think those are little gems where we get back to sort of like the dry river bed. A midi one actually to me has a Grateful Dead ripple vibe. Just a weary yeah. but empowered sort yes. of like uh, operating from that super spiritual sounding George Harrison mode again with all things was totally. Be. But I think one of his best songs is Aman, the one in between the ones you mentioned, which is unbearably intense. And that pedal steel solo is out of this world. I have definitely never heard anything like that in my life. Yeah. 
that was really cool. And then Timidatine, the last song, which is a sort of sleepy little number that's a simpler direction for him. And it's yeah. perfect. It's just a sweet little bonbon on the way out. And it, <laughs> it made me want to hear more stuff like that from him, where he fought his way past the naughty progressions and yeah. got to a place where he could just be in the music. I feel like he's got a lot of like really clutch album closers where you're just kind of like, all right, well, I can listen to that whole thing again for me. Yeah, like, yeah. he's aware of the construction of a record. Yeah. I think most artists don't, especially now with playlists. It's just a collection of totally. songs. But no, yeah. you're actually kind of directing a film. So you got to think of the whole piece and every little chunk affects the whole piece. Yes. So for Nomad, I understand why and I'm happy for him, but I would be lying if I said this is just as good as setting up a rig down by the river because it's not. But yeah. it's still a hell of a listen. Structurally, to me, it peaks in the second half. So it's one of those. I mean, yeah. And ultimately, I give it four and a quarter stars. I think it's great. If I listened to it a few more times, it would probably wind up being four and three quarter stars. And most yeah. people out there will probably say five. Right. And th this is a funny one for me, too, because I think the next record had such an impact on me for whatever reason it did that I would probably give this like four and a half because there's a density to it that I really like. But I like that that opens up in the next record to me yeah. and to my ears. And so that's why I would give it like a four and a half. But if I had to listen to it every day, then I certainly would. I'll tell you, we could have five episodes just talking about the idea of changing perfection to make it more palatable to more people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that only seems to apply from my ears to the first half of this record. First half of the record, he's you can hear him reaching. And it's not a bad thing. I like, yeah. I like what he does with it. There's nothing I don't like about it. Yeah. But still, you know, for the next 10 years, you would hear him reach in different ways. <laughs> so then he started a tour of the U.S. in May 2013, including appearances at huge music festivals like Bonnaroo, the Newport Folk Festival. In 2013, he was also invited to open for Robert Plant, Amadou and Miriam, and Gogol Bordello. Then came Whoa. 2016's Azelle, and this is Dave Longstreth's turn to sit in the producer's chair from the Dirty Projectors. I want you to take this one please. So I actually, I didn't know that. I found out within the past few weeks that he produced this record, but I didn't know that. I got into it because it was the next record from an artist that I liked a lot. And I have to say, just like right off the bat, first song, those guitars come in, kind of like dancing around one another, and then they sync up for that riff, and then everyone hits, and the bass is on another level from Nomad, which again, like to not take anything from that record, but it's just like, I felt like, whoa, we're really like deep in it now. And as I had mentioned before, I listened to this record a lot on a tour that we were on. I just put it on song number one and let it run through and we were lucky enough to be on a tour bus and it had subwoofers on it and just like when that bass drops it hits so hard and that was just a like a very visceral moment for me. I just, I don't know, like if I was gonna hit the hotel gym or something like this record would be like one of the ones to really like get me moving I, there's something about it that's just like invigorating to me yeah and i find that throughout the record but it's really prominent in this opening track ahar zaman right yeah yeah, yeah. Ahar it, zaman. That, you know the drums on that are so prominent I can understand, mm. actually, why it seems like, for this record specifically, it was like hearing a hammer and a mallet instead of drums. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, it's heavy. 
Um, right? Especially the then, first song. Yeah. The Cars of Mud. It's got kind of a like a feelies style jitteriness to it, like an awkward jitteriness. Yeah. But that battering bottom end is truly the legacy of the song, I think. I feel like we really get hit with the sort of like polyrhythm that permeates the catalog and probably like a lot of the Tuareg music that you can feel it in a four. Whoop. Is that... Was that... I think uh, that's on you. That's on it, it. That is on my end. I had the headphones on. Is it still going? No. All right, it stopped. Sorry about that. Keep in mind that the <laughs> yeah. emergency that's unfolding around me <laughs> is unfold is unfolding yeah. at a progressive rate. And, right, for sure. And while you were talking this whole time, not right now, but earlier, yeah. there were swarms of firemen outside. I have oh no idea about what. I could just see that they were there. Jeez, man. So, yeah, this is my last will and testament. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Hi, I'm Dave Gebro. I threw my career as a licensed hearing instrument specialist in the trash, sold my house, and moved to the East Coast with my wife and four-year-old son in order to focus on making the ultimate podcast for music obsessives thrive. Now I need your help. Although Discograffiti is rated in the top 2% of all podcasts globally, the economics of this thing are tricky. My monthly income at the moment totals a whopping 760 bucks. Becoming a member of Discograffiti's Patreon gives you access to over 100 more episodes and moving forward you'll get up to three shows a week there's the main show every friday wednesday's brand new series the top 10 and monday's wildcard episode which could be anything from interview bonus material our buried treasure show rock Cousteau, our slag off show queasy listening and exclusive limited series like the private press with paul major and if you've got no financial worries to speak of keep in mind that some of the higher paid on tiers allow you to actually advertise on the show, choose the bands we cover, or even some of the guests we get. For the price of a cup of coffee a week, you can ensure my family's fed, build a music library that'll be the envy of your block, and connect to a thriving community of music maniacs all at the same time. Don't risk feeling badly about yourself by not giving. Patreon.com slash discograffiti. Once again, that's patreon.com slash discograffiti. And now back to our expertly crafted program. It's an interesting record in that, again, I believe anyway, it's intensively weighted toward the second half. The songs yeah. are really strong in the back half of this. Totally. If this is your favorite, you may feel that about the entire record. I, honestly, like I wouldn't skip a song personally. Yeah. As you said, he knows how to construct a record and I feel in a different way. And maybe it's part of being able to sink into that soothing feeling or like, but that emotion that is evoked to me, like is there the whole time which is really cool because some artists like you know there are a few songs that you might skip and that's okay there's nothing wrong with that but he is one of the people that I'm in it for the whole record I feel like this budding romance is about to come to a skidding halt because the reggae stuff that happens here I really don't like and I could be reading into it but yet it still takes me out of the experience of listening to the music when I hear him reaching so hard so and, and maybe he's not maybe he just loves reggae and I'm overthinking it I thought that too well that's interesting to me because obviously I see the connection the similarities are apparent I do like reggae quite a bit I like reggae but, it, but what I'm yeah, hearing yeah. is Jamaican parking lot hacky sack reggae <laughs> 
You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's I guess not, what like Yeah, that's not the Congos, that's not Lee Perry, it's something else. No. Yeah. Sure. Fair. That's very fair. What struck me, what I think is really cool, and maybe what like salvaged it for me was that that polyrhythm that I'm talking about. You hear the kick drum like one, two, three, four, but there's usually like a dun, 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 one, two, three, dun, 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 at the same time, which I think is really cool. Maybe it's just because I'm a drummer nerd, like, I don't know. So you're talking about uh, the, the, the rhythm eventually... The rhythm like that... Locks and then basically like, like, a, like, a, like a watch. It'll eventually fall into time. Uh, yeah, at some yeah, point. it's like a... Like bop 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 bop, and they they're like two separate pulses happening at the same time, and yes, they link up, and they deviate, and they link up, and I guess what sort of salvaged some of those, what I think like most people probably talk about, like more reggae tinge, is that drum beat is still there. It's slower, it's different, but I find that to be like a definitively maybe Tuareg or like, can I feel that pulse in the Tenaro and stuff too, and that Amdu Mokhtar. A lot of his stuff, I feel the same pulse, but it's like there's a beat there, and I feel like that sort of rescued those songs for me because I feel like that beat is still on the reggae tinge stuff. Those guitars are, are striking, like that sort of parking lot reggae vibe, I guess, but the drums are doing something different that sort of rescues it for me. And I and there truly is nothing that I don't like by him. I just yeah. was bummed when I heard that, and then as soon as I felt that way, my wife turned to me and she's like, what the fuck is this? And I was <laughs> like, oh man. Yeah, it's not. I'm not just, <laughs> uh, but then you know what happens is track three, Einar. Yes. Which I don't know how this is possible, but a four-letter word. The translation is, "If you know the degree of my love for you." How the fuck is that possible? <laughs> anyway, uh, I don't know. That's beautiful. It is. It's an instant corks correction. It's just yeah. this gorgeous tabla-laden bubbler with these very simple hypnotic acoustic lines. So I just forget about it immediately. Then. There's a couple mm-hmm. other songs, the Yariba type howling that he does when he gets into the yeah. music, which, by the yeah. way, reminds me of the almost involuntary noises that Keith Jarrett would make during the cold. Oh, yeah, I'm familiar with those. <laughs> so, like, it, I get every time he does it, I think about Keith Jarrett. Yeah. It's weird. No, I know. And, and like, yeah. that makes sense. And, like, the, and Bonham's grunts. And there is something to me which, like, you know, to each their own. But for me, I do feel like the music's usually hitting a fever pitch. And then, like, for him to, like, sort of let out this ecstatic yop, I find to be exciting. But I can see how it's not everyone's cup of tea for sure. Yeah, it's, I feel like a penis even talking about it that way. Because, like, no, I mean, to be fair, all I have to go by is my inner compass about music. Forget about cultural stuff and anything like that. Yeah. You know, after Einar, I'm lost for three songs. I don't hate it or anything. But then the last four songs are yeah. stunning. Like some of the greatest. I'm not even going to try this one. Oh, no, I'll try it. Igmayag Doom. Yes. To me, could be the best song on the record. Cool. Ashuhada as well. You know, it felt strange to stack two really powerful ballads back to back late in the album sequencing, but I like how they work together. And then Timidiwa is amazing. And, you know, by this point, I'm thinking that whoever sequenced this record was on DMT and never corrected the sequencing. (laughs) (laughs) Because, I mean, I don't know. To me, these feel like 
do these feel of a piece to you? Maybe these just because tra- I know that they are. You know yeah. what I mean? Like maybe because I never like contemplated otherwise. So I'm kind of like I'm just with it. Like I'm there for the whole ride. So maybe that's why I've never. I'm interested to kind of like listen to them again with that in mind. Yeah, I feel a little guilty. I hope I haven't tainted your experience of this record at all because, like I said, it runs totally counter to your experience with it. Because to me, if there was anything that resembled a pothole for me, it was this record. Interesting. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. Though. Um, oh, there we go. It's a double secret alarm. Yeah. I'm going to die, but I'm going to die with a smile on my face. <laughs> uh, here's what I wrote. Longstreth, for me, turns out to be a more hit and miss collect. <laughs> I'm not even going to edit all that stuff out. I'm going to keep it. Um, Longstreth for me turns out to be a more hit and miss collaborator than Auerbach, but moments of sublime beauty and herky jerky rock action can definitely be found here. Unfortunately for me, so can lots of cultural assimilation techniques that to me have the unintended consequence of losing my interest here and there. So I'll give this three and a half stars. <laughs> Which is still very good. <laughs> I think it is. Yeah, man. I think I'll have to give it five as well. I and it, it could, no, honestly, you're, it could you're be a hard very, five. You're a hard five. Yeah, yeah, I'm a hard five, and it could be an experience thing too. Just like where I was for some reason, like this just hit home for me when I was out on the road. Like it, it just brings me to a place too. It's like I spent a lot of time with this record. Yeah, and so it has like some sort of secondary significance in that way too. I would just. Give it another star just for having made you happy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, great. (laughs) And then we move on to a very interesting one. Yeah. 2017's La Sombra, which is a song by Residente, and it's just a guest performance by our man. And so I'll say for this one, if I didn't know before, I at least for sure know now. It turns out I'm not much of a Nigerian rap fan. That's fair. I give give it one and a half stars. Interesting. I... Honestly, for me, I'd probably give it like a 3.8 because, first of all, the drums are slamming on it. They're like pretty distorted and gritty. I love that. And then he like really goes off. There's three sections with some pretty significant drumming that I think is really cool that I like to hear. As we touched on earlier, like it's pretty recognizable that it's him. It's not like his guitar is just sampled. He's, <laughs> he's got like some good singing in it. This is another one, as I said, I was... <laughs> Is it just to let you know, just to heighten the tension. <laughs> I love it. Um, so I got to read you these texts, dude. Okay. Um, uh, my wife just said, we are moving stuff upstairs. And I wrote back, I'm almost done. Do you want me to stop the interview? She wrote, do what you want. You need to come get your stuff you need for your sisters. And I wrote, I'll be done in 10 minutes. Okay. <laughs> so I, my marriage might be in jeopardy. I'm hoping not. I, uh, I hope not. It's yeah. okay. It's okay. Let's, uh, let's keep going. Because honestly... You couldn't, yep. you couldn't pay for better circumstances. Yeah. No, this is going to be a good one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So what do you, what do you give this? Uh, I think it's 3.8. Because it's not that's like, right. I'm probably not going to be listening to it all the time, but I like, I may go back for some of those drum licks. Like it's, it's an exciting collaboration to me. It's cool. Yeah. It's interesting, that's for sure. And then 2018 is Duran. So for his sixth studio album, Bombino recorded in Casablanca at Studio Hiba, which is a recording studio owned by the King of Morocco. Yeah, that's so cool. I just found this out as well. Um, it's incredible. Man, I think this, like, 
This record was a sleeper for me, honestly. I've gotten to appreciate it a little bit more recently. I actually loved it. I thought it was yeah. like a marked improvement on the on the previous one. And one of the reasons for that, honestly, is the sequencing, because I feel like the stronger material is spread throughout the record um, yeah. as highlights. Because a few of his records, it will, for me anyway, it's like all the Yariba stuff is kept to side A, and then yeah. you're hypnotized as fuck on side B. Whereas I'd right. rather, you know, I'd rather kind of take the good with the bad as we go kind of thing. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, this is five years ago. It's the last album we've had from him. To me, there's a hell of a lot of highlights. There's so many great songs on this record. Adunia Adag could be my favorite. Yeah. It sounds That's like sharp rays of sunlight poking through tree leaves. To the yeah. way he's playing the acoustic. Um, and these, I keep almost visualizing. I don't have synesthesia. I wish I did. But yeah. I can almost see these spiraling eddies of note clusters that are yeah. shooting off his guitar strings almost visually like these clumps like fractals i find this record to be very visual as well yeah. i think that that's what i have gained an appreciation for recently like the whole thing as a piece i feel like if the guitars of agadez is a snapshot of something in and you can like feel the riverbed and the fire and whatnot and i feel like deron ends up being like a painting of the same image somehow right it's right like, it's like smooth it's vibrant maybe some of the colors are like embellished but and that's i really think a lot of the stuff um like the keys and synth stuff are cool because they're a lot of times like buried in the mix but there's a lot more drones i feel um and like textures they're not taking the place of any of the band or arrangement but they're like they really add a lot in this record i think i think that's really yeah. special about this entire record um, it, it actually also has this sense of there's a relaxed feeling about it it doesn't feel like he's thinking about units moved. Um, no, 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 no. It really feels kind of relaxed and accepting of his kind of stock or brand or whatever it is. Um, yeah. And he was nominated in the category of Best World Music Album at the Grammys. First Nigerian artist to be nominated for a Grammy Award. Wait, did you hear that? I did. Oh, shit. Uh, we're here at the end, basically. But 2020 Live in Amsterdam... <laughs> Um, which, uh, you know, I didn't give a rating to that because it's a uh, live record. Yeah. Decent enough. But let's not spend any time on it because I don't want to die. And then yep. 2023, he came out with a single. Did you hear Tazadur? I did. That takes us back to one of the Agam Gum songs, right? Yeah. And it's yeah. unbelievably grooving. Yeah. It, you know, another never-ending fractal type of thing. Totally. Worth, worth the wait, worth the five-year wait, and I hope it's a harbinger of the high-quality downpour to come. I agree. I actually wrote the word downpour. I cannot believe I was that <laughs> prescient. <laughs> yeah, man. And then here you are. <laughs> so that I'll give that four and a half stars. Yeah, man. I'll go the same four and a half. Let's get you safe. <laughs> no, no, don't worry about it. I'm fully in right now. So <laughs> okay, okay. So cool. here's a piece I wrote. So I'm going to talk about the overview and shape of his arc. Bombino's, yeah. Bombino's aesthetic growth brings with it a steady process of what I hear as colonialist Americanization that I found I wanted to hate and act the purest over, especially because I believe the best setting for what he does was captured right out of the gate down by the river. But really all of it works. 
and the songs are reused, recycled, and reconstituted like goat's head soup. Nothing's wasted, every element utilized to provide nourishment. So this was a huge discovery for me and my admittedly provincial tastes at times. Dennis, thank you for opening me up to this. Bombino's been a huge discovery in my house and not just in my headphones because I got a cool wife. So I love my, that. <laughs> my top three records, number three is Duran, number two is Agadez, number one is Group Bombino Guitars from Agadez Volume 2, and much to your disgruntlement, my worst album will be uh, Azelle. No, it's all good, man. Yeah. I appreciate that. It's fun diving in with somebody. Do you have a uh, do you have a top three or? Oh yeah, I think that Azel would be top. I think Guitars of Agadez would be second for me, and it's kind of a tie between Duran and Agadez for me for number three. If I had to choose, if I had to choose, I think I'd go Duran. How about worst? So I'd be a, worst. By the least bit, I probably like Nomad the least for some reason. But it, but it's like it's an incredible record, and and like revisiting it for this, I'm kind of like okay, I gotta like maybe some of that is just how I've felt over the years because I I found a new appreciation for it going back into it. This stuff is all going to continue going to be pumping out of our speakers if we even have speakers anymore. Yeah, um, I really hope you do. Please plug away, man. Uh, you know, I can kick back and relax for this. I know you're on tour. Doing our new record, Emotional Contracts. Just came out. Which is fucking terrific. Dude, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, some touring will probably be a place near you, wherever you are. The collective you or me? The collective you. <laughs> wherever anybody is, we'll probably be close. Well, that's actually a lie. It's a continental United States tour. So if you're in the continental United States, we'll probably be somewhere close. I'm excited about have a lot of fun. And I'm excited about what it is that you do and what it is that you will be doing. Because I know it's going to gush out of you like a George Harrison-ish geyser. (laughs) That's how it works. Yeah, man, it's it's happening. I appreciate that. Dude, I honestly will never, I'll never forget this. Yeah. Speaking of your tour, before we go, we've got one letter here in the tiny little Gen X mailbag. Gordon Hedinger asks, after seeing them in Indianapolis recently, it seemed like they played more songs that John doesn't sing, which I'm cool with because I love them. Is this a conscious effort to put less strain on John's voice? Not necessarily to put less strain on his voice, I think. And honestly, for a, a little while, he's been writing the set lists. I think I've heard him say in other interviews when I'm in the room, just like overheard, that this has been like a dream of his since he wanted to start a band. He wanted to be in a band with multiple singers. John is the voice of Deer Tick, but he's the one kind of spreading the love around, which is great. Maybe it has something to do with his voice, but not that I know of. All right, that's all that Gordon Hedinger gets. I'm going to go be with my family. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah. Good luck. I hope it all goes well for you. Even if I get horrible Alzheimer's, I'll never forget this interview as long as I live. <laughs> oh, man. David, thank you very much. Thank you, brother. All right. That about does it. A heartfelt discography thanks goes out to my beautiful wife and son, Jen and Mason. Dennis Ryan, not to mention the entire rest of Deer Tick, my incredibly loyal fans, and especially the entire Patreon community, the soul 
soldiers of sound. I love every last one of you, and this show would not exist without you, my friends. Speaking of friends, it's high time for some new ones. They're in our Facebook group, Discography Soldiers of Sound. That's the best way to find out what's coming up on the show, but there's a hell of a lot more. You get recaps of the day in music history, the ability to pitch questions to guests, polls that put you in the driver's seat on guest and band decisions, access to a thriving creative hub if you're looking for a collaborator. In fact, I know firsthand about some very exciting projects coming together because of fellow soldiers who collided in our incredible group. Honestly, it's objectively the only worthwhile thing that's come from Zuckerberg's college efforts. So make sure you don't miss out. You can find the link to the Facebook page right there in the show notes. And if you don't mess with the Zuck, no sweat. Just email me at info at discograffiti.com and I'll keep you in the loop. So now that it's done and you want more, another way to dive even deeper into Discograffiti's pantheon of Roots Rock episodes is to start with the band as rated by Thelonious Monsters Bob Forrest. That's episodes 25 and 27. The Replacements, rated by their biographer Bob Mayer, episodes 28 and 29. And of course, as we talked about on the show, as part of Funky Drummer Summer, Jim Gordon, rated by his biographer Joel Selvin. That's episodes 107 and 108. Join us during the upcoming week as we descend down, down, down on Discograffiti's week-long Here Comes the Flood, So What in the Fuck Are We Gonna Do deep dive. Of course, if you're a Patreon subscriber, then you already know to keep your ears peeled throughout the week, because this Monday brings a heapin' helpin' of the wildcard episode digressions I aggressively court and then serve up piping hot for our Patreons. This Monday, we're kicking the week off right with volume. Volume 5 of Alan Arkish's incredible tell-all series, Fillmore Feast, as he goes broke, moves into his mom and dad's house, and proceeds to kick off his flood of great cinematic works. That's right, not all floods are bad. And then there's this Wednesday's incredible Patreon-only episode of Discograffiti's The Top Ten. This week's list features the indomitable Joe Kennedy and focuses on our top ten songs about flooding. Make sure you visit patreon.com discograffiti and check out the thematically related deep dive as a music obsessive's way of life our patreon's been up and running for a year now and with two episodes a week reliably posted there are over a hundred patreon episodes at this point that's an entire universe of incredible material available to you for the price of a cup of coffee a week and of course be sure to mark your calendars because next friday november 10th we're coming at you with Corey hansen from wand rating the entire entirety of both his own band and his solo catalog. And man, are there boatloads of delectable Patreon-only must-hears lying in wait for y'all. Trust me, you're not going to want to miss it. This is an honor because as far as I'm concerned, the best album of 2023 is hands down Corey Hansen's Western Come. So go check it out and be properly prepped. And so, from now till then, don't let our youth go to waste, lads and ladies. It's Discograffiti. Discograffiti.